We got our drinks ready. Some good old fashions. Yeah, they're nice. I don't know if I'd mix it with Canadian Dry again, though. It needs something slightly different, and I don't know what. Maybe just a club soda. Yeah, because it's already, like, fairly sweet. Yeah. Welcome to VCR, a vintage cinema rewind. We're bringing old movies to new viewers. Nice. I'm super excited to discuss this movie with you. I don't think I've seen this in like 20 years, but this is one of my biggest childhood movies that really I consider to be a childhood classic that kicked off my passion for film. Yeah, I, I I haven't seen this since the 90s for sure. Like, it scared me as a kid, and mm-hmm. now I kind of understand why. Yeah. Rewatching it was, uh, was like, a, a good throwback. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, before we get into the film, I have a couple of show notes and viewer comments that I want to bring up. So today's comment comes from Kelvin V., I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. That... I, it could be Calvin, it, but I think it's I, Kelvin. I think it's Kelvin. I think it's Kelvin V. So Kelvin V writes, really great podcast, guys. You definitely piqued my interest, and I'm looking forward to watching the thing. One thought I had was could you include a comment about where we could stream these movies? That's very practical. Yes. Kelvin, Good I have idea. great news for you. In the previous podcast, near the end, it was almost an afterthought, but I did include that the thing is currently streaming on Netflix. I'm gonna I'm gonna run through where it's streaming on the Who Is This Movie For section. In addition, if you go down down into the show notes, I every week I'm going to include a link in the description to justwatch.com slash CA for our Canadian viewers. Um, And that website will show you where you can find the specific movies we're discussing and where they're streaming. You can also search movies that are streaming on your own subscribed platforms. You can actually select like the specific ones you're streaming. They have like 30 different platforms on there which is crazy to know that there are even that many at this point the other thing that's really cool about just watch is you can filter movies and tv shows using a number of other filters like genre year it was released rating etc i actually find that it's easier to find movies on there than trying to use the amazon prime interface that that interface oh, is garbage. It is the absolute worst. I don't yeah. know. I don't know how like this huge company is running that as their like main movie platform. Yeah, it's awful. So anyway, Kelvin, I hope that answered your question. You rock, buddy. All right, let's introduce the movie for this week. We're doing E.T. the Extraterrestrial. This is a childhood classic, came out in 1982, Steven Spielberg directing. I'll tell you about some of the other famous childhood actors that were involved in this as well. It's it's a sci-fi children's movie, essentially. It's a very great inter- introduction to this for the kids of the 90s. Oh, absolutely. Even the 80s, really. Yeah, like yeah. This movie came out in 82, and... I'm going to tell you some crazy facts about when it came out at that point a little later, too. Yeah, it was a great year. We 
Uh, I haven't watched this since the 90s. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, I probably haven't watched this movie in at least 20 years as well. I was trying to think back, and I probably, absolute last time I watched, I was probably at most 10 years old, I think. And it scared the shit out of me. (laughs) (laughs) There are some dark moments, absolutely. And yeah, we'll have to talk about that in a sec here. So so we're going to start actually this time with who is this movie for? So I actually want to start this segment with a two-part question for you. So the first part I want to ask you and I want your opinion on this. Is mm-hmm. this a movie for children? And at what age is it for? I would say like at least 10 or 11. Like that's that's a decent age to be introducing this. It's not, it gets into some darker areas, but you should be at least 10 or 11. I think I was too young and I think you were too young when we watched it in the 90s. Mm-hmm. But um, it was different back then. Yeah, So, I had to actually look this up afterwards. This movie does have a PG rating, so 8 and up. I think I probably started watching this movie around 5 or 6 years old. Yes. And and there's some really dark moments that we'll get into a little bit later in this film. But, in my opinion, those moments make the, the payoff of the ending so much more rewarding. In, in my opinion, I think this is a film for ch- children. You have to gauge your child's kind of level of dealing with dark and 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 death and, and stuff like that. And and realistically, you're probably going to have to do a little hand-holding through this film, too. Yeah, like, I feel like when I watched this, it was my very first Alien movie. Mm. And I had, like, it just scared the crap out of me. Yeah, I feel like movies like men in black and things like Mm -hmm. and like lilo and stitch those kinds of movies if your kid has watched those then this they're probably ready for this they they've got the concept they're not going to get too scared yeah you definitely have to gauge your kids but i think that any children who can who are prepared to deal with some of those tougher moments and and as long as you know when those tough moments are coming you might have to watch this movie before showing your kids But this is my childhood movie. I know for a fact that there were moments as a kid that scared me. And so so this is a movie that I shared with my grandma and and that I have a kind of a special connection with with her. And and this was her her favorite movie of all time. Mm. So so she showed me this movie from a probably too young of an age. But (laughs) uh, we we watched this movie over and over and over again. And it still scared me in those bits. But she kind of walked me through it and said, you know, it's going to be okay and all of that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. But on the opposite end of the spectrum, similar to your experience, Jess watched this as a kid as well, and it terrified her. Yeah, yeah. And and she thought, and realistically, I could see that. Like, E.T. is not an aesthetically pleasing-looking mm-hmm. alien no, by any means. It's very unique. Yeah. Like, they just came out of the park with this crazy, like, looking alien, but they also, like... Made it pretty lovable at the same time. Exactly. Did you have a second question? Yes, I did have a second question. Right. The second question is, is this a movie for adults? Definitely, especially if you have that traumatic uh, memory as a kid of watching this and haven't <laughs> watched it since. It's definitely rewatchable and um, very like heartwarming and fun overall. 
Yeah, for sure. And and Jess was not looking forward to watching this, but her <laughs> final comment in the, this film was this really brings back the authentic feeling of being a kid again. And I can't agree with her more. Like this film feels like childhood and that is honestly the best way I can describe it. Yeah, like you have to overindulge in some like snacks like you were a kid, like maybe to the point where you throw up, but and maybe that's what I did, maybe it's not. <laughs> very very good rewatch. Very good rewatch. All right, so second part of who is this movie for? When do you think is the perfect time to watch this film? Hmm. Just really any night uh, where you're just like hanging out with your significant other or um, like an old friend. Like it's it's like a very like comforting kind of movie, even though it has those like stranger aspects. Yeah, for me, I think. This is a perfect Sunday night family kind of film. Oh, yeah. You know when we were growing up, how they used to play movies on Sunday nights? I think it was on, like, CBC or CBS or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So every Sunday at my house, we would get together and and everyone would kind of stop doing what they were doing and, and watch whatever was playing on TV at that point in time. And I think this is a perfect movie for that kind of situation and, and kind of getting the whole family together to watch something. Yeah, that's definitely a great way to do it. So this film is streaming currently on Prime. Again, if you need to look later, if you're watching this at a later point in time, go down to the link in the description below and you'll be able to find where to stream this. So let's talk about the plot a little bit, Jason. All right, so... E.T. gets going when a bunch of very strange-looking aliens come to Earth to collect plant samples. Some menacing agents scare them off, but in a rush, they leave one of their more curious aliens behind. That little guy hides out in the shed of a 10-year-old kid who, upon discovery, lures the alien back to his house with Reese's Pieces, and no one believes him when he tries to tell his friends and family. They bond, find out some of E.T.'s powers, teach him to talk, then work out a way to get him home. Yeah, and I kind of get the vibes that E.T. is also a child in this, and so it's kind of E.T. and Elliot kind of bonding a little bit as well as children. Mm-hmm. And and this is kind of before any prejudices or anything else have developed. So that so there's that childhood innocence, which which we'll talk about a little bit later as well. That that's kind of uh, helps form that bond between the two of them. And I think that's really important to the plot. It's either that or the bond itself, because the bond yes. is an important thing. Um, the bond makes E.T. a little bit more childlike, even though he is still shown to be very intelligent. That's a good point, actually. Yeah. Which way does it go? Yeah. Is it because he bonds with a kid or is it because he is also um, like that kind of like that age of an alien? Yeah, for sure. That bond is extremely important and that. I don't want to spoil too much about that bond at mm. this point in time because it there's some really comical moments that come about because of that bond. It it's more than just a normal bond. Like this is a supernatural bond to say the least. Definitely. 
So let's get into some characters and people you may know. First, we have to start with Elliot, the main character. He's the middle child, 10 years old. He's probably the most wayward with the absence of his father. We don't really see him with a group of friends ever or anything like that. And he's the original one to discover E.T. in the backyard and, and form that bond. And that moment when he is looking into the shed mm-hmm. was just like perfect cinematic, like oh. all the lighting and everything. The curiosity was just spiked right at that moment. Every Everything about that scene is perfect in my mind. And for probably about the next 10 to 15 minutes after, as as they kind of bounce off each other a little bit, that's, that's one thing that I actually wrote about that was a memorable scene for me in several spots and again it goes back to this movie being childhood like Mm -hmm. when et comes out of the shed for the first time and elliot's sitting on on the chair and he's doing that silent scream to try to get his family yeah i could identify with that so hard i remember specific instances in my childhood where i was so scared that that's the absolute most i would get out his whole character him being the uh younger brother i connected to a lot in the intro like he's like trying to get a word in while his friend his older brother's friends are all like hanging out and he's just like trying to figure out how he can like be a part of the older brother's like life kind of and the conversation and it's interesting actually you bring up a good point here so you identified with elliot being the middle child to an older brother i identified with elliot being the middle child to a younger sister because i had a younger sister growing up so that kind of dynamic is where i i kind of related to and and kind of having that annoying younger sister who objectively Drew Barrymore, super cute, oh like God. scene like, stealer in this film. Every, yeah, every word that she uttered was just like, like I wanted to hug her. <laughs> Absolutely, and every comment was just so funny, so perfectly timed. So, so I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit here, but yes, Drew Barrymore plays Gertie, Elliot's younger sister. And again, she has some of the funniest lines in the movie. Like, at one point, she betrays her brothers to introduce E.T. to the mother. So they walk in the door, and E.T. is hanging out in the living room. And Gertie goes, here he is. And the mom goes, here's who? Because she's not paying any attention. And and she opens the fridge door as E.T.'s walking up to them and just absolutely smokes them with the yeah. fridge door. And Gertie goes, the man from the moon. But I think you killed him already. <laughs> Yeah, that was a great scene. And she, yeah, her lines are the best. Gertie is like by far the best character of this this movie, I would say. Yeah, for sure. And I don't think as a kid I would have agreed with you, but now as an adult, absolutely scene stealer, favorite character. So, Elliot, I'm going to move back for a sec. Elliot's played by Henry Thomas, and you may know Henry Thomas from, and again, we do people that you may know from the 2000s and what roles they had. So recently, he's been involved in Midnight Mass, which was just released on Netflix really recently. He's Ed Flynn, 
the kind of the main family, the father of that. He's also in The Haunting of Hill House, which I just started, actually. And he plays a, a young Hugh Crane, which is, again, the father of the story. And then he also, again, plays The Haunting of Bly Manor. So he's kind of become a main actor under the director Mike Flanagan, who's known for horror and kind of having a very Stephen King-esque appeal. And, and his his films draw and TV shows draw a lot of inspiration from Stephen King-type novels. So if you're into that and you've seen some of those, that's actually this is actually one of Henry Thomas's first films and and probably the one he's most known for to be honest yeah that's fair so drew barrymore we don't even need to get into it everyone knows who drew barrymore she's probably one of the most famous actors of the 80s through early 2000s she's and even recently she's been in the santa clarita diet gray gardens he's just not that into you 51st dates getting a little bit further out and then charlie's angels the reboot Mm. so some other important characters that you should know so we already mentioned elliot's older brother's name's michael he kind of looks down on elliot to begin with as kind of the weirdo of the family but eventually they kind of connect over et and he takes on more of a protector role with Elliot as the film kind of goes on. Yeah, like you can see him mature from just being like a not really a bully, but just an older brother, and then um, he matures into like a like a helpful, nicer older brother. Yeah, and so the last part of the family that I want to talk about is the mom. So she's raising these three kids on her own. And and the husband here is out of the picture. He's left gone into the world with some side girl kind of thing. And she's kind of left to raise these kids by herself. And this was actually something as a kid that I don't think I really picked up on. Or it, it really wasn't something that important to me necessarily. But I think as an adult, I can maybe sympathize or empathize with the mother a little bit more oh yeah like you barely paid attention to her as a kid Mm -hmm. because because she was um not super central to the movie anyways but uh all the elements that you see as an adult like all the things going on in her life Mm -hmm. definitely uh like you notice it more and you like appreciate it yeah and i think with her as well I think a lot of critics could say that, you know, this is one of those tropes where the adult's not really paying attention. But I think I kind of disagree with that in that that film. Like, that really shows that she has just so much going on. She's trying to take care of these three kids and work and all of this other stuff. And and being an adult now, I, I can kind of understand having all these things going on in my life that, that it's it's hard to really focus on one thing and, and how you're going to miss these details, especially even with your kids and trying to raise them as a single mother. Yeah, like the, she has an alien in her house and she doesn't notice even when it's right in front of her for uh, like the majority of the movie. Right. 
So there's two other figures that I want to bring up. Keys is the mysterious figure hunting E.T. and his family. I don't think we actually get more than a name than that. But Steven Spielberg really like hones in on the keychain that yeah. this guy is wearing all the time. I I don't love that, to be honest. It's a lot of crotch shots. That's exactly what Annabelle said. Like, I didn't even... She, I don't know if she noticed the keys. She's like, what's up with all the crotch shots? Yeah, they were really focusing on the keys Which there. were hanging off his belt. Yeah. It, and he was uh, one of the guys chasing E.T. at the very beginning. And the reason why, like, his spaceship left without. Yeah, exactly. So he he's really central to the story, but and I I feel like maybe Steven Spielberg was trying to do something a little bit different here, because you know at this point the hat's probably been done a million times and stuff like that. But I don't know. I I, I think trying to do something different didn't it didn't really work for me. That that that's one small thing that yeah, I didn't yeah. didn't work for me. So the last kind of actor to note, not a central character, but I, I do a deep dive into the actors, see if anybody kind of had any notable appearances later on. C. Thomas Howell is the name of the actor. He plays one of Michael's friends, one of the guys on the bikes in one of the ending scenes. Oh, yeah. He's been in tons of appearances since the 2000s on TV appearances. The notable part, and this is a little bit more me bias, but, and this is also, sorry, pre 2000s as well, so all you new viewers, but uh, he plays Pony Boy Curtis no in way. The Outsiders. Oh, yeah. shit. This was his first role immediately after Goes to the Outsiders. That is unreal. That's like such good luck as a child actor. Absolutely. E.T. to the Outsiders. That's great. And and this was kind of one of the things while I was watching. I kind of tried to pay attention to the actors because this took part like 40 years ago to see if there was anybody that looked familiar. And I did think that one of Michael's friends did look familiar to me. And and so I had a good chuckle to myself when I realized that it was Ponyboy Curtis because The Outsiders, again, was really important to my high school years, actually, or my pre-high school years. Yeah, yeah. One thing to note, going back to Elliot's older brother, he actually won a Best Supporting Actor award for this movie oh wow yeah this movie actually won a ton of awards oscar awards and grammy awards and every other award ceremony that you could name under the sun it did lose best picture to i believe gandhi that year and Ah. the director of gandhi said that he didn't think his movie should have beaten et he said that during the acceptance of the award what a humble man Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, one other note that I had, you said uh, uh, you were like looking out for people that you might recognize. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of mustaches that reminded me of some porn guys. <laughs> not that I'm not that I view those kinds of movies. I like old uh, regular movies, but not that there's anything they, they wrong some, with that. They, yeah, they, had, they just had some great stashes. <laughs> like it was just at the um, like the end of the stash era, I want to say, or like right in the middle. And I don't know. I think it's probably right in the middle. Like my dad would have been just getting into in his adulthood around this time, and and that's when him and all of his buddies would have started growing the stashes that they'd have for the next like 20, 30 yeah. years, basically. Yeah. 
They were so, just thick. Yeah, they were. <laughs> I don't even know how they could grow them that thick. Like, yeah, it, I'm almost 30 years old, and I can't grow mine that thick. Things were different back then. Things were different back then. All right, last person I want to quickly mention, Steven Spielberg directing here. This is one of his most iconic films in a career that includes Indiana Jones, Schindler's List, Saving Private Ryan, Jurassic Park, Jaws. I can go on for another two minutes probably of his notable movies. But this film was one of the highest grossing films that he ever put out. At the time, highest grossing film of all time wasn't surpassed until almost 10... Sorry... Over 10 years later, with the release of another Steven Spielberg film, Jurassic Park. Up until E.T. came out, what what was the highest grossing movie? Because it, like it, it eclipsed the previous one by like far. Surpassed Star Wars as Star the highest Wars. grossing yeah, film. Yeah, yeah. There we go. Yes, like Star Wars, absolutely huge. And then E.T., like... A kids, they're both kind of kids movies, but uh, E.T. just like came out of nowhere with just like huge success. Yeah, and funny enough, let's talk about this really quickly as well. There's a lot of Star Wars references in, yes. in this as well. And that's because Steven Spielberg and George Lucas were friends. They had some friendly bets prior to this movie between some bets, which are really interesting. We'll, yeah. we'll talk about those when we get to those movies eventually on this podcast. Yeah, so so E.T., there's, there's a point in time where Elliot's showing all of the important things to E.T. or the things that he finds important and he's showing him like his Lando Calrissian doll and stuff like that later in the film we see during Halloween we see Yoda walking around and E.T. actually tries to go to him and speak to him which is really awesome yeah, like that tiny little like connection where he's like, oh, I know that guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then later on, about almost 20 years later, E.T.'s family makes an appearance or E.T.'s species makes an appearance in the Star Wars reboot episodes one through three i believe he was in the first one and it's during i believe the galactic kind of political meeting that that as they're panning through all of the aliens you see the the et type of species yeah that was really cool to see like the the mask that was used in et the yoda mask like i want to say it was an like an actual like from the movie mask it was very realistic it was super realistic and i don't know if i don't know if we could even find an answer to that but but yeah you might not be wrong i imagine this is probably the same studio that released star wars yeah that might be a good thing for us to follow up on at some point yeah for sure for sure all right let's quickly talk themes a little bit so obviously childhood and innocence a little bit in this and trying to fit in like i've said before this film is childhood this film will it'll put you back to a point in your life where where everything is is still magic basically mm-hmm. and i got really sentimental at and I actually got emotional twice in this <laughs> film, funny enough. And I want to wait till spoilers to talk about those brief moments. But 
this film was written out of a place in Steven Spielberg's heart as well. This is kind of in reference to him going through his parents' divorce as a child, so... Yeah, I feel like they really, like, play into... Like, they do a good job of explaining well like showing without explaining that um that feeling as a kid so that's a really cool theme like it could be um another thing that might be good to watch for someone who's gone through that just to work through maybe Mm -hmm. or think about and you know elliot is the one who's most struggling with the loss of his father in his life and, and so that's kind of hits home a little bit. The other interesting thing in this film is there's a lot of references to Peter Pan and, and the Lost Boys. They actually, in the scene where the mom is reading a novel to Gertie, that is Peter Pan. Yeah, yeah. I, I checked which book that was. And yeah, that was like a really cool reference. So, so you can kind of, there's kind of a direct correlation here and there's a little bit of a modern retelling of E.T. kind of being Peter Pan and, and bringing Elliot along on this grand adventure with him. Yeah, that's cool. I also think a little bit as an adult, there's, there's a theme of that struggle of just trying to do it all yourself kind of thing and trying to figure it out basically Yeah, like going with the flow while trying to get as many things as you can together and like going in a good direction and Mm -hmm. you're just kind of like, it's like you're juggling everything at once. Yeah, and and just having that kind of unfocus as as you get through things, that's that's something that's kind of, I've maybe been struggling a little bit with lately is just I have so much going on and it's really hard to focus on certain particular things in my life a little bit right now so it's just it's hectic kind of thing and that that's something that as a kid you're not gonna notice but as an adult it kind of hits home a little bit more yeah you see that in the rewatch as an adult for sure Mm -hmm. so basically another theme is the experience of like seeing an actual benevolent experience around aliens Mm -hmm. so the the alien itself is benevolent and you kind of find out later that the agency that is um, trying to go after E.T., the like the head guy of it, isn't actually a bad guy. So like it's kind of nice, this childhood wonder of protecting innocence. Like the, the, the agency was protecting Elliot's innocence to the best of its ability while also trying to do the right thing. So that's like a whole theme where everyone's kind of good in it. It's not that evil in the end. There are some aspects of it, but... Yeah, no, I would agree with you. Uh, It's definitely... The agency is definitely built up to be the villain for a while, but they, they do try to do what's right. Now, you could argue, though, during that final chase scene where they're trying to not let them escape, basically, and I... Yeah. That, uh, that but it but it shows like there is there are good people within those agencies. Yes. Like and like you should be wary, but there are good people. So yeah. that's kind of like a good theme to teach kids kind of compared to other movies that they see. Like there is a good guy in the end. Yeah, and it, it it's not just anti authority. Yeah. Right. 
Okay, let's move into score, and I'm really excited to talk about this. So this film was composed, or the the score to this film was composed by John Williams. He won, I believe it was five Oscars over the course of his film career, and one of those was for this film for best score. And so he's one of the most famous film and TV composers of all time. So he composed a lot of of steven spielberg's other films like jaws and indiana jones which funny enough in my notes here as i was watching when that first opening score comes in i wrote down is this the guy who did it indiana jones and i was automatically writing down harry potter yes and that's that's the fun part that I was getting to. So so those of you who grew up in the universe of Harry Potter books and films, the main theme song of Harry Potter that goes da 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 mm-hmm. which is like the maybe the most notable song of all time yeah. at this point was scored by John Williams. That's that, that's actually Hedwig's theme is what it's called. And that's, I, like I said, it's got to be the most recognizable theme for anyone under the age of 40. You definitely get the vibes in E.T., but like you, you, as soon as you hear the E.T. theme song or the intro music, um, yeah, you automatically, I thought Harry Potter, you thought Indiana Jones. Depends on, uh, I guess, what you're more attached to, maybe. Yeah, and honestly, I don't think, this film score is that much below like an Indiana Jones or a Harry Potter. The only difference is that E.T. really didn't develop into its own E.T. universe. So this is really the only film where this score actually took place. And I'm going to get into that why that didn't kind of pan out in sequels, prequels, and reboots. So I think if we had heard this score a little bit more in a few other films, then it would have maybe not quite gone to the same level as Indiana Jones and Harry Potter, but it's pretty damn close. Yeah, yeah, like it, it's, it's almost there. And so something that I want to say personally about the score is I think that this film and other films in general are better for having a professional composer come in and score based on the feelings and the themes and and the plot of the film rather than selecting music of the time period. Yeah. I think it kind of creates this timeless score that you can't really tie down to a specific generation of when it was made. And I kind of want to kind of compare this a little bit to Hans Zimmer scoring Chris Nolan movies. Uh, those films are timeless classics and they're not even 20 years old yet, yeah, most yeah. of them. And part of the reason for that is because this Hans Zimmer scores will never get old, in my opinion. He's like at the same plane as John Williams, just a whole different uh, feel. And he like he mastered that feel the way John Williams has mastered this amazing, awe-filled type of experience and with emotions packed in. Exactly. And, and that's actually, I did a deeper dive into this because I found this really interesting, especially because of this film. And so there's actually a lot of thought that goes into composing a score like this for a film. They thought about how they were going to 
generate sympathy for E.T.'s look because John Williams got to see E.T. before he composed this, and he was like, what the hell is this alien yeah. kind of thing? They did they did such an amazing job with how gross and like weird he looked, and yet at the end, I want to give him a hug too. Yep. Or just touch his head very awkwardly like the older brother. <laughs> I, everyone wants to touch his head. I'm glad he, someone did it. Yeah, true. And, and the other kind of component to this is is the mixing and the emphasizing of different instruments at dis- different times to kind of elicit those different feelings from the audience and when you want to elicit that feelings it's really manipulative and interesting and like you you get so into the movie that you hardly notice like unless you're paying attention and like hearing those things and like you're used to kind of watching out for those mm-hmm. like you're just like completely in it like your heart is now like beating with the movie as it's going yeah exactly so so this music was composed before the film final edit was complete so steven spielberg loved the music so much that they actually edited the final chase scene to match the song exactly wow that's that's unreal so incredible so interesting and that's why he's so great at like directing yeah, it just producing. everything came together for this film, right? Yeah. Let's move into effects and filming here. I don't have too much to talk about, so we'll kind of talk about this pretty quickly, I think. The first part that I wanted to bring up that I found was really interesting. E.T. was voiced by a woman named Pat Welsh. She actually smoked two packs a day to kind of nail down the voice during For how long? Because it seems like you would have to do that for 40 years. I think she might have been just using it as an excuse. (laughs) Yeah, that's I had to do it for (laughs) E.T. What? When did she start? (laughs) When did she stop? I don't know. She's still going today. (laughs) She's still going today. (laughs) But yeah, and they also used a number of other audio bits, like uh, different animals, different instruments, etc., to kind of create that voice. But the bass was this woman, this chain-smoking woman. (laughs) The, The other interesting component here is, again... 1982 were pre-CGI. The the alien ET is there with the kids during the whole filming. It's actually three different puppets, and each of those puppets kind of serve a bit of a different purpose with maybe some head movements, some walking around, and, and different kind of actions. There was also three different actors that kind of helped use the different motions and use the different puppets basically and all three of them were inside of et there was two little people no way yep it was two little people and one boy who was i believe about 12 at the time who was born without legs so any of the scenes where et is kind of walking on his hands is that boy wow that's so cool it's really interesting and it's kind of neat how they're able to give all of these different roles and different parts and different opportunities to people who have these disadvantages and turning them into advantages yeah. for these films. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, like the three parts that I would imagine after you say that is like the hands are obviously one person. The neck moving up and down, like the head movements and facial expressions are quite elaborate. And then maybe the third guy is just the body, I don't know, or the legs. There has to be be some legs, right? (laughs) 
Well, the legs are like the tiny little things. Yeah, right? yeah. So they don't they don't really do too much. Even. Yeah, like he kind of he kind of waddles. has that like waddle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So a couple more things that I was going to point out. So all of the hand motions mm. were done by a mime, a professional mime that they hired because they found that the kind of the puppeteering and the the robotic kind of things just didn't do it did yeah, justice. Yeah. They still did an amazing job then, but like obviously because like those hand movements they're creepy and like they're very alien. Like you can't tell that it's like humans doing that kind of. Like it's it's just a cool way like they the hands were gross, but they were like they're kind of important and like character driving sort of. They're very important to the film and and they make it feel more real as well. Like yeah. there isn't very many times where E.T. as a puppet pulls you out of the film. It's it yeah. honestly like there are even times when E.T. is in a bad place where like I, I've completely forgotten at this point that we're just looking at a puppet. And, and like this is, again, a little bit of that emotion kind of boiling up in me and seeing kind of this horrible state that he's in. Yeah, they really took the time to make him as realistically alien as possible like it doesn't have that um like again uncanny valley effect where you're like like how is this thing working you're not thinking about that that much you get into the movie and you just you're just like that's how aliens move yeah exactly so the last interesting tidbit about effects and the way that they film this, they actually film this in the chronological order of the events, which if you know kind of how Hollywood works, it's generally kind of, uh, they do it in an order where they can kind of film certain scenes and they don't have to go back to the same location to film over again. And it, it's all kind of based on budget and, and kind of, when things make sense to film versus the chronological order. The reason why they did this is because they wanted to elicit the emotional responses from the kids. Cause these are actual kid actors at this point. We're not, we don't have some 20 year olds trying to pretend to be yeah. like tweens Younger. basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the um, spaceship is kind of horrible. They put everything into ET and that's completely fair. Like the, the spaceship, like they're just like, it's only in a few shots actually like, only the scenes where it's flying away or like in the distance that's what that's the only point i'm talking about yeah because you actually do get to see inside of it a little bit in the beginning which i didn't remember as me either yeah i i had no like i did not remember that they were coming to collect plants no or that like you see inside yeah and like yeah just that um the ramp at the end like that's kind of what i remember Mm -hmm. um and like him leaving but I don't remember, yeah, the rest of those details. Yeah, that's really the only part of the special effects that don't hold up for me. And actually, really specific, when the ship's coming back down and everyone's kind of standing around on it, you can definitely tell that's like a green-screened kind of area, and they've kind of like put them into that, and it was probably some sort of uh, like model kind of uh, yeah. spaceship like in Star Wars kind of thing. Yeah, and the um, the flyaway, and then there's a rainbow in the sky. It wasn't done that well. 
Yeah, that part wasn't necessary. <laughs> but it wasn't. Yeah, they didn't. They didn't have to try for that because you had already like they'd invested so much probably in ET. And I was itself. so emotionally invested at that point. Like you really didn't. Yeah. yeah, you didn't need all of that at the end. But they also probably didn't need to try that hard at the end either. Like they yeah. they tried like with the rainbow and everything. Like you said, we pro- we probably didn't need that yeah. to be completely honest. You mentioned earlier that ET's face was modeled off of. Uh, some other people and specifically the famous people that et's face was modded off of include albert einstein ernest hemingway and carl sandberg did they all like merge in a melting pot it was probably a psychedelic trip that steven spielberg had yeah, in the 70s yeah. it's uh i i see like certain elements that could be attributed to those kind of people like their faces but something like wrong happened <laughs> i th- i think when they cross dress et there's a little bit of uh albert einstein in in that there with the yeah, hair yeah 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 it's uh that's a good scene okay let's get into a look back at the time so i don't really want to tr- retread over old ground here if, if you kind of want to delve into 1982 and when this movie came out, I'd highly recommend going back to the last episode about The Thing. They came out same time, E.T. came out a few weeks, and completely blew up the box office. This was the largest grossing movie when it came out. It was the highest grossing movie for about six weeks, but it stayed in theater for half a year, basically. Wow. And it's been re-released twice since then. It held on to the highest growing film until it was surpassed by Jurassic Park in 1993, like I said. Th- this movie was huge. This this movie was a, a moment in time that, that kind of hit the pop culture at just the right time. It defined that period, kind of, or like ushered in a new one? Yeah, exactly. This was kind of the positive answer to the recession and and kind of that hard outlook on life that and and all of the hardships that people were dealing with at the time that this kind of you know added some magic into people's lives yeah some awe and wonder a little bit what's cool too is uh product placement was kind of the this was like one of the first instances and that kind of changed um like that aspect of movies and shows from then on with the Reese's pieces. Yeah, they were they basically exploded because of this movie and and Steven Spielberg actually originally wanted M&Ms yeah. but they didn't accept it. They didn't want to be associated with an alien. They thought it'd be too creepy it wasn't, or whatever. It wasn't just an alien. It was the fact that E.T. looks so weird. I'm pretty sure. Oh, okay, okay. Like if it was like a cute, lovable alien, mm-hmm. which he does turn out to be, but uh, like all they saw, um, I feel like, was a picture of E.T. And um, they're like, no. <laughs> But uh, that was a big downfall for them because Reese's Pieces just blew up after that and other products and product companies were trying to get into movies after that because they're like, well, this is like a untapped marketing area. And there, there's so many components of this film too that really cemented it 
in the history back then and have continued to cement itself in cinematic history. E.T. Phone Home is probably in, if not the top 10, then the top 20 most quoted dialogues of all time or famous, sorry, probably one of the most famous lines of all time. And there's other components to this, like the image of Elliot in E.T. on the mm. bike flying over the moon. Like, yeah, that gave me chills watching that. Yeah, as because an adult. like I remember it like vaguely as mm-hmm. I was watching the movie. But all of the um, references in modern cinema and shows to that scene, just like watching it, rewatching the original like of that scene of the flying bike was just it was really cool. Yeah. And that that's the first scene that of this movie that I I really got emotional because because that's that's the point in time that you remember from this movie even after 20 yeah. years. Yeah. And so I was just looking up the movie posters while you and I were taking a break and and there's kind of the original one with ET and Elliot's kind of fingers touching. Yeah, yeah. And I would say that's not my favorite movie poster of all time, but the alternative one with the bike and and the two of them kind of crossing the moon like that. Yeah. I I think on principle alone I eventually once I have my my hallway or my room of of movie posters that has to be on there. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. I didn't even uh like it happened twice in the movie. I didn't even know that until I rewatched that where he crosses the sun the second time. Mm-hmm. That was a cool scene, especially with all the other kids uh, like following. Yeah. The final, uh, the final chase scene. And we'll, we'll dive into that into the spoilers for sure. But, mm-hmm. Oh man. So, so the last part of this segment that I want to discuss with you is, is to kind of contrast that with the thing the thing was the reason why we actually kind of even landed on E.T. for our second episode. Yeah. And E.T. is part of the reason why the thing didn't do so well and was actually kind of hated when it came out. For me, so after watching these two films kind of back to back, to be honest, I kind of understand. Yeah, yeah. I I could not imagine having watched E.T. first and then gone and seen the thing. Yeah, like just like such a good feeling from E.T. and then just a horrible feeling from The Thing. Yeah, I'm so glad that we did The Thing first. Be- yeah. It would have changed my entire outlook on that movie. So if, if you're going to watch the two, watch The Thing first or watch them far enough apart. You should not have a double feature night starting with E.T. into The Thing. It's just they're so polar opposite. Yeah, yeah. That... And, and there's the payoffs are both there. There are some big payoffs in each movie, but they're so drastically different. Yeah, like the payoffs in E.T. are often like heartwarming or funny and like enjoyable. Mm-hmm. But yeah, in the thing, it's just the grotesque, like uh, practical effects were just so different. And like E.T. is a little grotesque, but in a cute way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, let's get into our personal reviews, and then we'll talk about what our partners found with this movie. I'll start. So, for me, this this is truly a magical movie. And like I said at the beginning, th- this is one of those movies that kickstarted my passion for cinema. Like, th- this is the movie that I shared with my grandma growing up. 
in in those kind of really important years. And actually, that was the last kind of sentence that I wrote down as this movie was kind of wrapping up was, what a truly wonderful movie. And like I said, I, I got emotional twice during it. and And for me, this film really transcends the medium in which it's presented it's it's kind of the same vibes that you'd get from the toy story series where it, it just becomes so important to your childhood and in and beyond that but then reflecting back on on those times and and i think that's part of why this film is held up for so long be, because it can put you back in that space and even someone like my partner who didn't have those same fond experiences with this movie as a kid was able to kind of still feel that now watching that as an adult yeah that's awesome and the last kind of thing with that as well is i personally think this is a film that you show your kids one day and part of it is because this is a a children's movie but this is something, again, where later on in their life, they can watch this and think back to their childhood and the fond memories had and that they shared with you. So I'm, I'm really grateful for the personal kind of sentiment that I have with this movie and the memories that I have with my grandma watching this together. Yeah, no doubt. That's a great idea to like make sure you uh like watch this with your kids and then they they might have the same experience we had and then they'll watch it again in like 40 years or something mm-hmm. cuz they'll be like 20 something then and uh <laughs> your math is on point. <laughs> well, I mean I mean it, well, yeah, I guess it's not going to be 20 years till we have whatever, but like it's a cool cool thing for kids to experience like twice at two different points in their life. Yeah, exactly. That this is one of those movies that I would call a generational movie that there there are pieces of this that really stick with you as a kid, but then it as an adult, it just kind of hits different, and and there are other there are other parts to this movie that you don't really understand until you're more in the mom's point of view than you are in the kids. Yeah, yeah, and that was something cool about the actual filming too, is that they filmed a lot of it from like a a kid's height mm-hmm. on purpose, so that you like the kids really connect with it. And then the adults kind of get back into that mind frame mm-hmm. and um, can appreciate that and look back on it with uh, like some good feelings. Everything about it just really puts you back into that childhood mindset. And I, I can't even, like I said, Toy Stories, the closest kind of comparison that I can make. And especially... Toy Story does it a little bit different, but but think of like Toy Story one and Toy Story three yeah. combined in one movie, basically. Yeah, yeah, it's a good um, idea of the feeling that's kind of left with uh, viewing this. So, do you want to talk about your own experience? Yeah, overall, this movie was just great to watch again. Uh, the feelings from like childhood and everything were there, and the nostalgia from the soundtrack and um like my once fear of et and now like uh, uh, he's like it's like it's a fun movie and he's a fun character once you like watch it as an adult 
So overall, um, great movie. I there were so many funny scenes and like so many scenes that really draw you in and like make you love the characters mm-hmm. and um, great feelings reminding you of childhood. It just hits different on an emotional level that a lot of other children's movies don't really do. Like most children's movies are there to entertain a child where this is trying to capture the feeling of being a child. Yeah. Yeah. It's that experience. Like it's, kind of like a becoming your own person experience from uh Elliot's perspective where at the beginning of the movie he was like just trying to get a word in edgewise with his older brothers and um throughout the movie he gets to like really open up and become himself through this connection with ET and like there's the the classroom scene where, like, he kisses the girl and really, like, kind of starts his own personality, like, kickstarts his own, like, the rest of his life, kind of. Like, this was a pivotal moment. Mm -hmm. And as you're watching this, as, like, looking back at that perspective of what a kid wants at that time, every kid, like, back then, you're, like, trying to figure out who you are. And this was just a great way to have that, like... Elliot had that little push to, like, he had to become who he was going to become with his experiences with E.T. Yeah, you make some really good, great points there. And the one that I kind of want to dig into a little bit, because it's another thought that I had, was basically, like, from the kid's perspective, his priorities... And, and that's something that I wrote down during my watch through here was that especially when E.T. and Elliot are first kind of interacting and Elliot is trying to basically show E.T. what being a human means and, and what yeah. what's important to know. And it's like, here's my Lando Calrissian yeah. toy. Here's my fish. Yeah. And, and all of this sort of stuff that's really important to a child. But as an adult, you wouldn't think to maybe present at first. Yeah, like he was just showing him all his favorite things. And he just got so into it. The kid as like the actor did absolutely amazing. And he just really nailed that experience for kids where they're like, this is my favorite stuff. Like, like this, these are important things that uh, you should know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah super cool scene, and it just captured that um, like childlike innocence, or yeah, just absolutely, perfect. absolutely. Okay, so partner factor here. I watched this with my partner Jess. As I said, this was not the same kind of childhood movie that or experience with this movie that I had. She was scared of ET as a child she wasn't looking forward to watching this with me she she was kind of taking some jabs at the movie taking some Mm -hmm. jabs at me can't believe that you're gonna make me watch this movie this is the movie that terrified me as a kid Mm -hmm. but she liked the film more than she was willing to admit like i said she you know she had her laptop open she was watching hockey while i had this on but she she had her head up more than probably 50% of the time. And in the last act of the movie, I would say it was 75 to 95% of the time she was up. The game ended and she stayed there for the last 15 minutes and watched the rest of the movie instead of going to bed. Nice. And and like I said, that, that last kind of quote that she had where 
this movie really captures the feeling of being a child. Yeah, yeah. They did such a good job with that. Yeah, Annabelle was, like, the last thought after watching it was, that's not as bad as I thought. When you think back and, like, you had those, like, hazy memories of what E.T. was, and then you're like, it can't, it can't, like, be that good anymore. Like, it was, like, so old and so long ago that we watched it first. We both talked about how, like, what age we were when we last watched it, and it had to be in the 90s. Yeah, so not as bad as I thought. Like, she was really getting into it, asking questions and, like, pointing things out. And, um, yeah, overall, I think she really did enjoy it. She paid attention the whole time and was asking those questions. Yeah, I I think personally, I would recommend this film to just about any adult who, regardless of what experience you had with this as a kid, just, just try it out, watch it again and 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 see the the difference that it makes watching it as an adult okay let's talk sequels prequels and reboots there has never been a sequel to this movie which is fascinating if you think about how hollywood works the highest grossing movie of all time for a 10-year span over 10 years and and the hollywood studios weren't trying to push out and pump out some some sequels get people back in the theaters to watch this and so the reason why that never happened was actually spielberg and matheson the writer had actually did begin writing a sequel when this movie was released and and they realized how much of an impact this was going to have on the generation but also the numbers of how many people were going there yeah. i think i read that there was something like 120 million tickets sold in the u.s alone wow so they ended up deciding against pursuing it and and spielberg's actual quote here is that it would do nothing but rob the original of its virginity et is not about going back to the planet so i i'm so happy that and i think this takes the kind of director that steven spielberg is we we have a handful of these kind of directors that have that kind of clout and that reliability like like a chris nolan or a quentin tarantino a stanley kubrick those kind of directors that you know are going to put out quality movies and you don't have to rely on the franchises that are just going to get people into there to see what their favorite characters are going to do next, mm-hmm. regardless of the quality of, of everything being inputted into that movie, writing, etc. <laughs> so the other component to this that I wanted to tell you about was that there was a video game that was produced by Atari uh, right when this movie was generated. It was rushed for the holidays. They, they developed and, and released this game within five weeks of, of start to finish. Wow. It was known as one of the worst video games ever made. And it actually caused a crash of video games in 1983. So the greatest, one of the greatest movies of all time caused video games to crash and go probably go backwards for a few years. There was probably a few years where game design and development was at a standstill. So there was a legend 
way back then before the internet as well because again yeah. this is before the internet that thousands or millions of copies of this game was buried in the new mexico desert oh i heard about that that's oh that's awesome so yeah so back in 2014 there was a group of investigators that decided to actually look into whether this was true and they found them no way they did yeah so i couldn't find online how many uh, actual copies were buried there but it it would have had to have been in the thousands i don't i I can't imagine it getting to a million, but... I wonder if there are any surviving copies that are, like, playable. Oh, I gotta imagine there are. My my mom has her Atari still. I actually... Uh, That's unreal. Yeah, I actually... Probably about five years ago when I was back at home from university, I found it down in our crawl space, and I actually bought a bunch of parts online and got it back up and running again. That's unreal. Cool. Yeah, that's a cool experience. Yeah. I just pulled up the uh, picture of the video game, and like the 8-bit pixel of E.T. is just so accurate. But like, how did, <laughs> how did they how did they mess up the game so bad? I have so no curious. idea. We have to get a copy of this. Yeah, we yeah, have to we get really a copy should. Of this. Yeah, so like, it's crazy that it was like such like the the spike of how high the movie went to how low the video game went. That's yeah. pretty funny. It's it's pretty funny, yeah. And then, like I said, there's some crossover with the Star Wars movies. We've talked about that and Steven Spielberg and George Lucas's relationship. And we're absolutely going to have to delve into that a little bit later in our series when we get to the Star Wars movies. Oh, definitely. So, so, so even though there isn't really any sequels or prequels to watch with this film, I think that this film had a larger impact on cinema in general than and then even maybe we think about on a on a regular basis like i don't think a, a tv show like stranger things would be the same without an et i think twilight zone and um other things also influence that but having et bring that out of nerd culture and kind of into the mainstream it had absolutely massive mainstream approval so the fact that it brought that into mainstream instead of just being like a nerd thing probably did allow Stranger Things and things like that to be made as well. So that makes sense. Well, and even think about it. Like, this is an alien movie with a focus on children. The The concept of aliens was a more adult concept. And, and it's also kind of one of the quintessential childhood adventure stories, really. Yeah, like if you're thinking about kids and aliens... There's not that much, like, pre-2000s that I can no. think of, really. There's, um, like, Post is uh, Wally, which has to be modeled. Like, the the robot has to be modeled after E.T. to a certain degree, right? Yeah, maybe. Like, the, the face is kind of a similar shape. Like, yeah. the picture of the eyes that I'm picturing. Yeah, because he has kind of, like, the same, like, binocular-shaped head. Yeah. And like a stubby little body. And I wonder if as well a movie like this would have brought something like Peter Pan back into the fold a little bit. Because this is, like I said, there's a lot of comparisons drawn between this and Peter Pan. and, And to have the book be in the movie, obviously there's there's definitely some inspiration that Steven Spielberg pulled from this. 
So I actually was thinking about Hook. Yeah, yeah, exactly, Hook. That's what I was going to say, because that's Steven Spielberg as well. Right. Like, if if you didn't include Peter Pan in E.T., would you have done Hook? Like, yeah. That might, yeah, that's a cool connection as well. Yeah, so that's kind of the thing, is I almost wanted to watch Hook, Hook next after yeah. watching this, but... I feel like we need to switch it up a little bit. Yeah, so, yeah. so you've actually kind of been thinking a little bit about what we're going to watch next. I'm going to put you on the spot to pick a movie right now that we're going to watch on the next episode. Maybe Lawrence of Arabia. I mean, <laughs> Arabia. Um, that sounds pretty good. And uh, The Crow, maybe. And there was that one other one that was um, pretty interesting looking. Oh, but, the final Stanley Kubrick film. Yeah, the Eyes Wide Shut. Eyes Wide Shut. Yeah, that would be a pretty cool like area to go to because I've heard like I've heard that phrase all the time, and I I know that it's a big like movie from uh, the period that we're looking at, but I don't know that much about it. I don't and, know. Like, I'm I'm a huge Stanley Kubrick for Kubrick fan, and I believe that's the only film of his that I have left. It might be one of three that I haven't watched yet. So honestly, I'm excited and open to watching any one of those three. So so tell the viewers right now, what are we doing next? I think Eyes Wide Shut. That All sounds, right, that sounds pretty damn fun. I'm excited yeah, for it. Yeah, because we're going into this in um, the same way that some of our listeners would be going into most of our movies or we're going into it not having previously watched it or knowing that much about it. So this is a cool, like, like some people may have heard of the thing. Everyone heard about or watched E.T. and it's worth a watch again. But this one is like a very much unheard of. Or no, it's not unheard of, but in our generation, I feel like like I've never heard someone else talk about it. I mean, this is this will be the third movie that we'll be doing. And think of how different the experience is and, and what we're bringing to the movies and what the movies are going to be bringing to us and what they mean to us, how different they are yeah. and, and how different each of these experiences is going to be. That's really exciting. And I, I think that we're going to continue to see that with all of these movies that we continue to watch. Like, each things are going to bring different things to the table and and are each are going to have their own special meaning to us or or to you as as the viewers there might be more important components to each of these movies that that really speak to you so definitely okay so i think at this point in time that's that's a pretty good wrap up so I think we're going to get into some spoilers again. Yeah. Uh, so if you've never watched E.T. or you want to watch E.T., rewatch E.T. as an adult, now's the time to pause the, the podcast and go and check that out and then come back and, and hang out and, and talk spoilers with us. Yeah, definitely. This is such a great movie. Go watch it. Yeah. It was just a really nostalgic experience overall. You'll Absolutely. En- you'll enjoy it. If you twisted my arm and said, if I had to watch one of the two movies from the current episodes that you guys have sh- presented to us, I would say, by all means, you need to see E.T. over the thing. Yeah, yeah. It's very fun, very... um within the culture that you've experienced it's in references all the time so it'll be very relevant for you if you want to go like more experimental and try like 
getting into the mindset of older movies and what they bring to the cinematic experience, maybe the thing would be good for you. Absolutely. Okay, it's time for spoilers. I'm yes. looking forward to this. Where do you where do you want to start? I have I have so many comments here that I want to I dive know. into. Um, maybe just favorite scenes. Okay, sure. Let's do favorite scenes. So, I mean, this I'm gonna go to the end and then we can work through the rest of it. But the scene with the last chase with the kids on the bike and everything like that is pure magic. And mm -hmm. like I said, Steven Spielberg edited it to match the this music at that point in time and when they lift off over the yeah, yeah. the police like like that that was the most emotional part of the movie for me and part of it was the excitement of it all part of it was the fact that you know like things were gonna go right and and the last kind of component to it was that it it really feels like we're getting to the end of the movie and i i mm. honestly i wasn't ready to leave this world yet like et yeah, no, exactly. Well, he was he was ready at a certain point. He was yeah. very ready. Yeah. But yeah, uh, that's like that end scene just flowed so well. And yeah, like it really it left everybody off with such a good feeling. The excitement of the chase and then the end where um, everyone's saying goodbye and like each said goodbye in their different way. And uh, Gertie's goodbye was amazing. Like, what did she say again? Uh, I don't remember what she said specifically, but E.T. was like, uh, be good. Be good. Yeah, yeah, because <laughs> she previously had said that. That was their the first line yeah. together. That yeah, was his yeah. first English. And yeah, she taught yeah. him that. Yeah. Well, it was from watching a show too, I think. I didn't yes. catch that. Yes. And that was, that was the scene where Gertie almost ratted the boys out. And again, this is... This is connecting to my childhood where I had the younger sister who who would always go and tell mom and dad on us and, <laughs> and all the stupid shit that we did, basically. Yeah, yeah. And so I really connected to that. And then when she's sitting there at the TV and going, be good, and he's like poking his head over the TV and going, yeah, yeah. Like, be good. Be good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. So, so kind of taking a step back, the reason why the the bike scene and, and them flying over the police like had as much impact as it did is because ten minutes before that, ET was dead, yeah, and and this yeah. is the dark the darkest part of the movie is is the whole kind of quarantine scene and and that's a that's a frightening scene with with the astronauts coming in like that's, yeah yeah so the astronauts pure cool factor there's no way no reason for it there's it no doesn't reason make for any it. sense yeah it's, yeah it's it's such a visually like mind-blowing scene because it i think you could almost like i had a thought of like did et put the house in space like yeah. what is these <laughs> yeah. astronauts doing here yeah they, they wouldn't have had those they would have no. been has yeah that's exactly what i wrote down i was like why why the space suits not hazmat and then that's when the doctor with the mustache showed up the like the mustache the primo mustache <laughs> jason um, has a mustache fixation yeah. but in all fairness he can grow a very good mustache i miss my mustache but, but yeah right beside my um uh note i wrote doctor's mustache and then gertie is so awesome <laughs> <laughs> i feel like if anybody read our notes for this film they'd be like what is going on like yeah. i'm all over the place oh, like yeah. i'm i'm having just a, a lot of fun watching this there's so many just like little moments that at the moment i was like that's amazing so yeah yeah but but yeah so the the dark thing with with et dying there under the 
careful kind of watch of all the doctors trying to save him and everything. And and the kids are screaming like, E.T., don't die! Yeah. Like, yeah. like, like you're killing him you're yeah. killing him yeah. like that's that's frightening as a kid like yeah. he, up to this point a lot of kids haven't really experienced death and yeah and this is where you're gonna have to hold their hand and you know say like it's gonna be okay like just it, it's just just relax it's gonna yeah. be okay like just keep keep watching and it, it's like 10 minutes of et dead there like they they really draw it out yeah i i th- I think just like the the um, intensity of it makes it seem longer, but I don't think it was that long. But like he was he was definitely like hurting for a while because uh, maybe the environment's not right for him or whatever. Like over the uh, period of him like losing his uh, like life force or whatever. So there's a, a few theories to that. Like I could see you know the being on a foreign planet maybe it's the connection that he shares with his species i kind i kind of wonder about that a little bit as one of his powers yeah because uh when you very first are introduced to the aliens overall they're you uh see a group of them foraging for plant species to take home with them mm-hmm. and um they hear a sound and all of their uh bodies light up at the same time so it's like they're all like soup connected and bonded just like et and elliot et's bond with elliot is is et bringing elliot into his world basically well while elliot's sharing his world with et et in his own way shares his world and his connection with elliot Mm -hmm. and i think that's also kind of why et's able to regenerate and and kind of bounce back is is he feels the connection of his family coming to get him yeah yeah because like as soon as he comes back to life so the the reason he came back to life was that potentially it was because the aliens like his family was coming back but Mm -hmm. it's exactly when elliot says i love you so like it's like a fully like formed bond and connection and yeah. it's it's like he gave him just enough to come back and then as soon as he comes back he regrows the uh dying plant that was mm-hmm. close by. Oh man, what a magical movie. Yeah. In the bike chase, did you notice how um, there were definitely adults riding those bikes? Oh, absolutely. Like, I, like, I thought that as well. I was like, like Elliot grew like a foot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, obviously, they had to do their best and like they did a decent job, but like those were some, they were pros, first of all. Like, yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, and I could have done some of those moves back in the day. Back in the day, yeah. Yeah, it was it was overall very good, and his uh, the older brother's friends were like a cool little spice throughout the movie. Like, yeah, they were the little interactions they had. With... They had some cool personality. Yeah, at the so in the very first scene, uh, when they're all playing Dungeons and Dragons, mm-hmm. was one of them smoking or was that the mom? Because it's there's like the I mom was, like... was definitely smoking. I don't know that I noticed any of the other kids. Okay, because like there was like smoke drifting up in the middle of the table, and I was like, I was like, are these kids smoking? Like how how far back and like how bad was the eighties really? Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean they're probably around fifteen, right? Like they're they're in probably 13, junior 14? high. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. well, and Michael's 
playing football, right? Like we see Michael in his True, football yeah. gear. He's like just about the, yeah, he's yeah. just about at the point where he's gonna start driving because you know he backs up the car, yeah, yeah. and so like there's that great line of "I only know how to back up." <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, actually, that was that was one interesting thing that I noticed also during that scene. I actually noticed a continuity error, and and it kind of racked my brain a little bit. And and I looked it up later, and I was right that that. The whole ordering of the pizza, they show them all order pizza and everything happens and they tell Elliot to go pay for it. But then they also tell Elliot to go like order it and they want this and that on it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like that scene seemed a little bit funny, but I was just like watching the interactions and like how people were interacting. Mm -hmm. I didn't catch that. That's cool. Yeah. It's something that I caught and then looked it up and I was correct. The other thing with the pizza, the only the only other like unrealistic component to this part is they leave the pizza. A bunch of teenage boys yeah. leave a pizza outside. Yeah. I guarantee you, I'm eating that pizza. Oh still. yeah, like all like a bunch of the toppings were stuck to the cardboard, but they they wouldn't care. You're scraping it off. It's it's all yeah. the same. It's yeah. all. And one they the- weren't even supposed to order the pizza. The mom was upset. <laughs> yeah. That was pretty cool. <laughs> so. Leading into this as well, there's the scene when they meet up at the park, and this is another one of those great lines where Elliot says, he's a man from outer space, and we're taking him to his spaceship. And the one of the kids goes, can he just beam up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So- <laughs> Elliot goes, this is reality, Craig. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was a great little interaction. That was a great line. <laughs> just Elliot... Each each of those lines, he just just hit them so perfectly. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and like the surprising use of foul language. Mm-hmm. Like I wasn't expecting him. What did he say? Like I know he said douchebag or like douchebag was thrown oh, around. Oh, the few greatest times. ins movie insult of all time. Yes. Shut up, penis breath. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like that was like one of the like that was like fairly early in the movie, and yeah. I was just not expecting that. Like. <laughs> Like they got a 10 year old kid to say this in like, like that's in one of the biggest kids movies. That's such a fantastic insult too. Yeah. That's like if like Buzz Lightyear said that, like you'd have kids quoting it all the time. hundred percent. hundred percent. I can't believe I didn't quote that growing up. Yeah. Yeah, really. (laughs) It never stuck, but that's such a good (laughs) chirp. Yeah. The, uh, the scene where Elliot and E.T., like where Elliot gets E.T. to come up into his room with him and kind of shows him everything and starts E.T. Oh, teaching yeah. E.T. about all of the important things as a kid, that put a really dumb smile on my face. Yeah, like that that yeah. really meant a lot to me. Me too. Me too. Like every kid has like all their favorite stuff. It's like you go over to your like nephew's house or like someone's house and they're like look what i got and like you're like i kind of remember feeling that way like yeah. like i i still can get that way like we get about movies almost you and i are just very passionate people and our passions drive us and and so i think we both feel a connection to elliot there yeah 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 those and it was just like so pure it was like did so they pure. actually bring this the actor's own toys in and like he's like showing them for the first time to someone new like that's they they nailed that scene absolutely 
another funny scene that I thought of was the scene where they released the frogs. There's yes. two parts to this I want to talk about. First, just the fact that they release all the frogs and Elliot's like screaming, like, back to the river! <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, be free, be free, and all yeah. that, yeah. Um, I wrote down, I was like, did they really, like, just chloroform frogs in front of, like, like did they chloroform? <laughs> they're 10 years old! Yeah, yeah, they're 10 years old, and they're putting cotton balls of chloroform in jars with these yeah. frogs and it's like did this happen in the 80s or was this just for the movie and like did the chloroform kill the frog like were they poisoning it to death in that scene like it was just crazy that this is one of those moments where i think we have to ask the older viewers who grew up in the 70s and 80s like did this actually happen back then because there's no way that in the early 2000s when we would have been that age that they would have allowed us to do that they don't let kids dissect frogs at that age (laughs) anymore like how far back do you go and you got like kindergartners do it but like yeah the fact that they were doing it it was just such a like interesting scene yeah back to the river (laughs) (laughs) so so the other part of this scene is is again so there's a lot of part points throughout this movie and i wrote this early on when i noticed that et and elliot both fell asleep at the same time that they showed that bond actually really early the other part that i would have never noticed as a kid and like i said this is a great movie to rewatch and and see all these points is et getting hammered alone at home yes. and sharing that bond with elliot who gets yeah. just hammered at, a 10 year old kid being yeah. drunk at school yeah and like he like burps when like after he has like the first beer and um like looks over at the his crush potential like his yeah, yeah his, the girl in class and like she looks at him weird and then uh he's just like smitten <laughs> the et drinking scene was a really fun like the dog following et around yeah like that, E.T. in the, like, house coat? Yeah, like. yeah. He's in a house coat drinking beers and, like, the dog's following him around. And, like, it was, like, very wary of him at first. Two two movies in a row where dogs are kind of, like, peppered in. Dogs are a huge thing in movies. Like, they can yeah. symbolize a lot of different things. And, like, one of the main things is they show who's the good guy and stuff like that. But in, yeah. this, in this movie, it was just like a fun little addition mm-hmm. where the dog is just like actually interacting with the the puppet of E.T. in real life. And it's just like so funny to watch a dog like going through that. We see the dog's first interaction and, and him and E.T. just terrified of each other into E.T. again, just kind of becoming one of, of the family with the yeah. dog. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and that's kind of the thing is is E.T. is like almost the equivalent of the dog to the kids, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if there's too many other specific kind of really many things that I really want to dive into. It's just there's just so many moments of this that just really feel like childhood like the faking being sick like it's almost a lead into a ferris bueller's day off like there's the i'm keeping him moment yeah 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 so there's just so many little parts throughout this movie that just remind me of what being a kid is all about yeah and uh the et actually going home Mm -hmm. like at the end uh that might be one of the best hugs in cinema like yeah. up, 
I don't know, like overall maybe, maybe, but like it's got to be up there because like the um yeah like the goodbye scene. And just, it's just so heartwarming where he's like, "I'll always be right here." Yeah, like, yeah, that's exactly oh what I had written down. I'll be right here. Um, because they each two, they don't want to leave each other because, because he's they've like, connected. Stay? So, yeah, yeah. He's like, "Stay," and he's, and he's like, like, "Come." come. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. man, yeah. Oh, yeah, just everything about this movie is so heartwarming and special. And like, I would, I want to, I w- there has to be a YouTube compilation of just Gertie's lines, and I want to watch <laughs> yeah. that after we talk about this. Oh, we have man. to get, we have to get like a soundboard that we can like program and just like play certain uh, lines from things. That would be unreal for this. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's a lot of editing on my part, and I already spend about six hours of editing. No, we just get episode. it on the laptop and play it into the speaker. I don't know. We'll we'll figure it out. Yeah, potentially maybe. Um, the uh, ouch scene and like just like mm. him starting to talk. Oh, and we didn't even talk about his phone. Oh yeah, how did we not talk about ET phone home? We did talk about the line, but we didn't we didn't talk about all of kind of everything about that. Yeah. Yeah. I liked that um like like I remember ET phone home, but um he was like at first he was like home phone and like things like that. Like so, he was saying So when that lines. first happened, I was like, "Oh my god, is this like a Luke I am your father situation yeah, yeah, where everybody yeah. remembers the line wrong? Yeah. But no, eventually Gertie he, trains him to say it properly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah, I was, I was thinking the exact same thing. This film is probably the the high point of home phones in cinema. Like yeah, it's all yeah. downhill from here. We're yeah. moving into cell phone territory. Yeah. Except for like maybe Scream and their uh, like Ooh, their home point. phones. Good yeah. point. Another Drew Barrymore. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a very famous scene with her as well. Yeah. This is one of Drew Barrymore's. It's not her first, but it's one of her earliest roles. I mean, it's it's got to be one of the largest of her career still to this day, even with all of the long storied history of of all of her, her special roles. This one truly yeah. means something. Yeah, yeah. Like just like. How is she so good as a kid? Like she just nailed every everything in that. So I was actually just reading before, right before we started, that she really took to heart that ET was real and there, yeah, and, and yeah. so that's kind of that thing where it's that special connection. And again, with having the puppets and and not having the crutch of cgi when things are right there yeah it's just so much easier to lean into it especially for her at that age like it makes sense that she would have gotten as like enraptured by et in real life as like we all did with the movie yeah it's interesting because i I think at different points in your life you might be able to connect with different characters but I, I think there will always be something special about her portrayal of, of this character. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think that's everything I have. Oh, no, uh, the actual phone that he builds is really cool. Like, the he just starts taking apart different things, and then mm-hmm. the, uh, the kids start to figure out that, oh, he's trying to make a phone. He takes apart one of those little alphabet things. Yeah. And I just found out, I was just looking this up, that the phone actually worked as a communicating like a it could communicate things really with the umbrella and everything at that point in time? yeah yeah and the wow. the saw blade and uh, oh yeah 
So yeah, the 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 saw blade did actually uh, move the fork, and it made the um the words come up on the the alphabet oh, toy. Wow. So like they actually got a a language and like a language person to build this. Somebody so, MacGyvered this yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. I want to find that again. Yeah, E.T.'s communicator actually worked and was constructed by Henry Feinberg, an expert in science and technology interpretation for the public. Hmm. So, yeah, a guy came in just to build this communicator that actually worked. And it was just, like, it was really cool that, like, E.T.'s just so smart that you could pull things together and, like, direct that back home and send that message. Yeah, it's pretty neat. Because, like, every kid wants to, like, pull things apart and, like, build something that actually works. It never works. Like, me and my brother used to, like, pull things apart. We were trying to, we cut up, like, headphone wires and uh, tried to make, like, electricity go between it. But that's not (laughs) how that works. So, like, we were like, oh, like, we can't just build something like this. So, it's cool to see it from, like, a kid's perspective that you can build something and it works. And it's, like, E.T. did it. I wonder if that had an effect on me as well because I was similar like I was kind of I had that same kind of curiosity about things like can I take this apart what's inside of it yeah what how does it work what does it do what can I put it back together again can I make it different or mm-hmm. or better yeah yeah it was always a no it's it's, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. broken at this point <laughs> yeah. but it was but it was a fun shot. it's a fun process that like so that that's just another element of childhood that is portrayed well yes and nostalgic to watch over again. Oh, yeah. The nostalgia towards your childhood in this is is unmatched. Yeah. Oh, uh there's another reference that I um I came across and it was Poltergeist. Have you really? seen it? I have not seen Poltergeist yet. That has uh I told my boss who's uh, who's like born in the 80s, like 84 and he um was he suggested Poltergeist and then I just like came across this fact that Spielberg had an original concept for a much darker movie in which a family was terrorized by aliens. Hmm. Then um so he kind of split that in two. Similar to Quentin Tarantino's Reservoir Reservoir Dogs and um, that other movie, the Pulp other Fiction. Yeah, Pulp Fiction. So Pulp Fiction is made of three stories, right? Right. And then uh, there were supposed to be um, there were supposed to be three writers who would each write one of those. Quentin Tarantino was one of them, and then he had he had two other friends who were um, also supposed to write a part. Huh. The third guy didn't write his part, so Quentin had to write it. But upon writing it, he wrote Reservoir Dogs, and he's like, this has to be a full other movie. Mm -hmm. So he then made Reservoir Dogs uh, first, and then wrote a a fourth part for Pulp Fiction. And he combined three three, uh, stories into Pulp Fiction. So the similar thing happened with E.T. and Poltergeist, where Steven Spielberg had an idea, and he split it into a benevolent alien story. And we got E.T. And then a dark alien story. And we got Poltergeist. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, we'll have to watch that at some point. Because there's there's so much backstory to that film that I'd really love to dive into that one sometime. Yeah, we'll have to um, like create a link to this at some point in the future and watch yes. that. Yeah. 
Where would you say this was filmed? Was it? I, I'm pretty sure it was uh, California, and like everything was like felt very California esque. It was very flat, like the cityscape and everything. Yeah, I looked that up. It was filmed in California. Los Angeles County and San Fernando Valley. Okay, yeah, because there are certain scenes where it's very hilly and certain mm-hmm. scenes where it's very flat. No, it's a this is just random, an old movie that I old yeller. Do you remember watching that as a kid? I I don't vividly, but I remember the gist of old yeller. Yeah, yeah, like that's just another like similar vibe as uh this one it's just because again et becomes a part of the family but it's a closer feeling to like a pet really for some of them like for well yeah 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 that's that's actually very accurate for most of them it's just like uh elliot and et are like like really meshed together emotionally because of the like how et works as an alien and that's kind of again bringing back up the death scene like it's their first experience with death like you would experience with the death of an animal or yeah. a pet and it's hard and and mm. and as a kid you just don't understand like Gertie says i wish he was still alive yeah yeah she gets it and doesn't but yeah like she and like that's the struggle for that experience really is yeah your first experience so like as a like yeah we were way too young to be watching this oh my god but like it was like we were gertie's age or something but um we couldn't appreciate everything else within the movie like all the like the funny scenes and like we we probably laughed our asses off at certain scenes but um like the impression that it left was like i was like very apprehensive about ever watching it again during my childhood because it frightened me and that's (laughs) he was just he was just gross looking. <laughs> and that's part of the beauty of being able to do this is is we kind of can go back to the movies that made us mm-hmm. too or the yeah. movies that terrified us yeah, yeah. and look at them with a fresh set of eyes and, yeah. and under the microscope a little bit. Yeah, and like really ex- uh, it's just great to watch old movies so that you can appreciate a different perspective because if you're just used to all these uh 2000s movies and like everything's we've talked about this before where everything's just hammered into you you don't have to think that much like they're just like when you're watching like marvel and stuff everything is just it's like you're a dumb audience yes there's a lot of hand holding for the audience there this stuff like it was just it was genuine Mm -hmm. and there's open-ended questions in these films that don't that don't need to be answered, that that know that the audience doesn't need the answers to every question. Yeah, yeah. And it doesn't mean that they're plot holes necessarily. It's just, it, it's not necessary for us as an audience to know or understand everything. Yeah. yeah. And E.T. Uh, e. had a great ending. Yes. Like, it, it left you, f- like, imagine walking out of the theater. Oh. Like, that would be such a fun time it's like that's equivalent to what walking out of star wars which i wish we could have experienced it's it's that childhood wonder again but even like last night i had that special takeaway from this film that it it left me almost speechless basically for five minutes afterwards yeah yeah this might get cut but like i want to if i get like absolutely mega rich i want to have like a movie room and i want to have the exit from the met like from the theater like i like i'm just gonna have like a 
I'm going to hire actors or something and just have the walkout experience after yeah. watching a movie with like my family and friends. So like we could watch one of these old movies and then like have that experience of leaving the theater because that's kind of like what that's kind of the feeling that we want to express to people who are listening is that um that feeling of like walking out of a movie theater with your friends yes. and just being like, Oh, remember that one part? Like that was so good. Yes. Like that exact feeling is kind of what we're talking about. Yeah. And th- there's really two parts to this podcast. And part of it is kind of sharing these older films with people, but part of it is sharing our experience with them yeah. a little bit and trying to rediscover that feeling and that enjoyment for film yeah yeah it's very very like characteristic of us to like we have to like research everything after like we want to know like like what else came out that year and stuff and just the small details the experience of a movie doesn't end when the movie ends yes and it carries out on that walk out and that walk out is kind of like where we do some research and stuff yeah, and, and we deconstruct what happened and, and decompress a bit. One of the more recent films that you could compare that experience with is Joker. Joker at the end, like, yeah. I don't know anyone who walked out of that movie and didn't have an hour discussion afterwards yeah, about what yeah. happened and the way that it made you feel. Very different feeling than this, obviously. Yeah. And how it reflected the times and and the sentiment and the problems going on at the time and everything else. All right. I think it's time to wrap it up. We've been talking for a long time. Uh, we should have just like random, uh, like random things that we talk about. Like just like very, yeah, yeah. yeah, We'll have some, but, um, something that I missed, I wish I was able to reference in the, uh, last discussion Mm -hmm. was, um, what was that movie that just recently came out where, uh, aliens kind of take over a certain part of uh, like America or something. It's it's all blocked off and anything that goes in doesn't really come out. And then we follow this chicken. Oh, you're talking about Annihilation. Annihilation. Yes. 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 That bear scream. Oh. Um, that like it. I think it won an award. That bear scream or something yeah, like that. Like the right. the the yeah, effects yeah, I and stuff. Something like that. That reminded me so much. Like whoever uh, created that whole idea mm-hmm. had to be of like thinking about the thing. Yes. Like they got their influence from the thing. They felt like like. Oh, yeah. it's just such a haunting scream. And yeah. The whole and that wasn't in the book. I've read the book, mm. and and the book is so different from the film. And so. And they still kicked ass with the film. Oh yeah. Like movies that are different than their books in a positive way. Way it's rare. So hit or miss. Yeah. So yeah. hit or miss. Yeah. That would have been a very hard novel to adopt. To be honest, it's it's a it's a difficult read i didn't love the book the way that i loved the movie yeah yeah and that's like uh, that's similar to fight club like fight club Mm is uh close to the like the book and the movie are fairly close there's certain scenes that are somewhat better in the book Mm -hmm. um like marla's uh, like the things that marla says during sex Mm -hmm. um she's just way more brutal in the book because uh chuck palaniuk is like 
messed up in the head, basically. He, he writes some very graphic stuff. I've read a few of his novels. And yeah. it, it, another good another good reference here is The Shining. Like, think about how different The Shining is from the novel to the film. I haven't even read the novel, but it's famously Stephen King's like most hated adoption mm. or adaptation, sorry, yeah, yeah. that he's famously spoken out against that he just absolutely hates what stanley kubrick did to yeah. his novel which is crazy like uh, uh, it's a masterpiece yeah i would love to read the novel just to see like which one's really better yeah um another one it the first the first version of it the first movie mm-hmm. like the 90s version the, the miniseries no i no that's the stand no, no, no. It's a miniseries. I really? Can't remember. Yeah. I watched the, it in two parts. Yeah, like, it's, it's long. Yeah, yeah. So I watched it all in one go, actually, I think. But I didn't know it was a miniseries. I, it was just like one stream or something like that. Yeah, it's like three that. hours but, and 12 minutes. So yeah, probably about yeah. four episodes. Wow, okay. So I watched that thinking it was one movie, and I just sat there and watched the whole <laughs> thing. It was great. But um, the second one was just so much better. Yeah. Like the the modern one they actually kicked ass with that. And uh compared to the book? Yes, yeah, so the modern adaptation is much better. They still struggle a bit with the adults in the second part. And that's it's just harder to write yeah. horror with adults, yeah. I think. It, especially understanding it and how it preys on its victims. Yeah. Anyways, that's a, we we could keep going forever. Yeah. We should wrap this up. Yeah, yeah. We're way over on time. Yeah. So thank you for joining us on Vintage Cinema Rewind. I can't wait to see the comments on this one. Give us feedback. Tell us something we missed about the film. We're going to be watching Eyes Wide Shut. I can't wait to experience that for the first time yeah, with re- you, Jason. I'm really looking forward to that as well. And yeah, this was a great episode. Um, fun filming it or recording it and fun watching the movie overall amazing experience absolute blast all right until next time have a good one yeah have a good one boys i don't know why i said boys cut that out (laughs) (laughs) did i talk about where this movie is actually streaming i don't think i did no you didn't okay damn So this film is streaming currently on Prime. Again, if you need to look later, if you're watching this at a later point in time, go down to the link in the description below and you'll be able to find where to stream this. I'm just going to cut that late into earlier. Yeah, yeah.